No, I mean, I think it's obvious that you and I take different approaches for sure. Um, okay. You know. Yeah, I, I don't want to sound crazy or anything. I, pr- I probably sound crazy. Well, it's too late for that. But uh, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> This is Movie Bite, a show where we discuss, praise, lament, or sometimes even lampoon movies, TV shows, culture, and more. The show is hosted by me, I'm TJ Draper, and by my co-host, Joseph Darnell of Movieology fame. How are you, Joseph? <laughs> hey, TJ, I'm doing great. How are you? You know, I'm doing okay. I really can't complain, although, I, as I told you earlier, I've been better. Uh, for some reason, I want to get this out of the way and apologize to the audience right away. You probably noticed that I don't sound as good as I normally do. And my pre- I just figured went, you got like a voice implant, like one of those um, mechanical things in the back of your throat because you lost your voice. Yeah, that's it. That's what it is. You, uh, poor, no, you poor guy. You yeah. poor soul. The, the preamp Pity that I, uh, I normally use, Joseph, I'm trying to explain something here. Uh, <laughs> the, the preamp that I normally use, which my mic, uh, my Marshall mic, my MXL 2001 requires phantom power. And so I have a preamp uh, that provides that and then goes into my computer. Uh, the preamp is not working. I'm, I have no idea why. I've spent at least 30 minutes trying to figure out why it wasn't working. Uh, even before you called or before we got on the uh, call and the uh, before. I, I just I can't figure out what's wrong with it. So I'm using my iPhone headphones, which has the built-in mic, and thankfully the newer Apple laptops uh, will recognize that mic and let you use it as a mic, but it's it's still not any good. It's still a piece of junk. So I apologize. Yeah, it, it is pretty cheap. Yeah. But, it's, hey, it's, it works. It's I working. know a lot of podcasts that make this sort of um, you know roundabout way of recording when they have to. It's not preferable. Yeah, it's not preferable, and, and and one of the things that I, I want to try to do, and the reason I'm so irritated about it, is I want to try to raise the bar in podcasting. Uh, I really like the approach that Dan Benjamin and Five by Five have of raising the bar and making good quality podcasts uh, in terms of technical audio quality and just in terms of the content, and I think that's been lacking in the podcast arena, so I, I'm really kind of irritated, but we're going ahead with it. So, I hear uh, you. And I, I apologize to all of you, the audience, for uh, for the poor quality of my audio, and hopefully that will be rectified by next week. Well, TJ, on behalf of the audience, I forgive you. Excellent. I am glad to be forgiven. I hope they all share your sentiment. Me too. All right. Well, let's get started. Episode 5. Yay! So um, I wanted to talk a little bit. I posted about this, I believe it was last week, about the TVShack.net thing. I, I can't tell you how irritatingly... How irritating and upsetting this whole thing is to me. I, I don't know how you feel about it. I, I feel pretty disgusted and irritated by this thing. Mm. Well, I've heard of stories like this, but I had not heard of O'Dwyer's case for TVShack.net. Um, do you want to tell people a little bit about what happened? Okay, so TVShack.net, and, and, and admittedly, it was a little bit seedy. Like, if you ever went there before they got shut down, it, it was just a little bit seedy. It's one of those sites that has a lot of probably inappropriate advertising and um, very seedy feeling. You, you felt kind of dirty when you visited the site. But and they would link to all sorts of sources. This, this and this was the 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 site was a link site. It would it would say, oh, you're interested in. I don't know, Fringe, Season 3, Episode 2. They would have like a, a page just for every episode of it or, or a movie or whatever, and, and you'd be interested in it, and this is where you can go watch it online. And whether those sites were legal or not was not a con- of concern to TVShack.net. They're just linking to the source. But they didn't host 
any inappropriate content themselves. So far as I know, so far as I remember, anytime I ever visited that site, they were just linking to where you could get to watch this movie or this TV show. Well, um, the MPAA has uh, shut them down. And not only that, now, now here's the kicker. Richard O'Dwyer is not based in the United States. He is based in, uh, let, me, let me make sure I'm right here, the UK. He is based in the UK. Um, but he landed as, uh, I'm going to quote from this article of, on Ars Technica, um, which uh, I don't know if anybody in our audience would be interested in it. I am because I'm very uh, technically oriented as well as love, loving movies. And uh, I skimmed through their stuff. So the Ars Technica article, which will be in the show notes. Um, you know, uh, I want to make a note here. Um, the, the, the people accusing O'Dwyer, it, it's, it's mainly the Fed and the MPAA. Right. And for a lot of people, I don't think they are familiar with the MPAA beyond right. their film rating system. The MPAA. Yeah, people think of them as the guys who just determine things like rated G rated pg-13 but it's yeah it's the movie uh what uh association of america yeah motion, motion, motion picture, picture association, association of america, america. Right. and i'll quote uh, since wikipedia is a source of all knowledge uh, i'll quote from the wikipedia article the motion picture association of america mpaa is an american trade association that represents the six big hollywood studios founded in 1922 right. as the motion picture producers and distributors of america mpd mppda it advances the business interests of its members and administrators. Uh, see, <laughs> this is a mistake in Wikipedia. Administrates, not administrators, administrates the MPAA <laughs> fi- film rating system. Former Democratic Senator Chris Dodd is the current chairman. Oh, boy. I don't even want to get into that. Wow. I didn't realize that. <laughs> right. And here are the six members of the MPAA. You have Walt Disney. You have Paramount. Sony Pictures. 20th Century Fox, Universal, and Warner Brothers. Yes, so all the big fish, basically. Yeah, yeah, um, and of course they're scratching each other's backs. Sony Pictures that used to be they haven't always been Sony Pictures, right? Like did Sony buy them or and it, they changed the name? I'm trying to remember. Oh yeah, okay, Columbia Pictures and TriStar Pictures. Uh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, I, I knew there was something like that. Yeah, Sony Pictures hasn't been around that long. Right. So. But but they're a conglomerate of two former larger studios, and they kind of uh, yeah. Anyway, all right. So so the Ars Technica article kind of breaks it down, which all this will be in the show notes. Um, TVShack.net didn't directly host possibly infringing materials, but the site did link to such videos. While this would likely be legal under UK law, and again they use the word likely because they're probably not all that familiar with UK law, O'Dwyer landed squarely in the crosshairs of US copyright enforcers. This spring, news broke that O'Dwyer would be extradited to the U.S. for this alleged copyright infringement, despite no locally illegal activities being performed in his U.K. home. O'Dwyer is currently appealing his decision, but the July timeline for an appeal decision was delayed without concrete rescheduling. Okay, there's a couple of things here that really, really irk me. And let me put this in perspective. Let's let's say that there is something in the United States. Let's, Let's say it's a free speech issue. You and I are in the United States, and we're we're allowed to, to have free speech, uh, by and large. Let's not get into that too much. <laughs> are uh, you sure about that? <laughs> yeah, but we're supposed to. Um, and so, let's say that we wrote something on the internet that's within our rights of, of free speech to write, and it's not illegal. We're not being prosecuted in the United States, but but there's some law in some country 
over in Europe. Let's just say it's even the UK. Let's just re- exactly reverse this issue. Let's say the UK has a law against whatever it was that I wrote or you wrote on the internet. And so they come over here and they talk to our government and they get us extradited so they can try us on their terms by, by their laws in their country. How insanely stupid is that? That, that, yeah, does, that kinda, does that kind of put this in perspective? I, I think that puts it really in great perspective. I think the MPAA, the FBI, and anybody, everybody else involved in this case is completely out of control here. And let's and I want to be really clear about this. So far as I know, TVShack.net only linked to infringing materials. Not a crime. Not a crime as far as I know anywhere for any reason. And even if it is, it shouldn't be. I mean, that would be like me posting on Movie Byte a link to uh, the Pirate Bay, which I wouldn't do. But let's just say I did. Is that illegal to to link to the Pirate Bay and say, "Oh, here's the Pirate Bay"? Well, well, right. You're. And by the way, I mean, that's part of the inconsistency. Is that TVShack.net, whether it was based in the UK, America, is practically a moot point because. In the bigger scheme of things, why is it that the FBI and the MPAA is, you know, barking up this tree when there's all these other sites that accomplish the same thing, only they host the material? Sure. Well, it's a drop in the bucket. It's it's a complete drop in the bucket. I mean, and and it's it's more like... But they're making an example of small fry. Right, They're not taking on the big guys. Yeah, it's a little insane. Now, now, um... They have been cracking down, and they have taken on some big fries. If you remember, I don't remember if it was 2011 or 2010, there was a huge bust of 10 of the biggest uh, copyright infringing sites. So it's not like they aren't willing to take on the big guys. But in this case, it does seem a little strange. Um, TVShack.net is nothing, really. I think it's just something they're wanting to make an example out of. They're wanting, I think they're wanting to say it's Ill- they're, they're trying to make precedent that it's illegal to even link to infringing stuff. And it's just it's completely out of control. Yeah, and if yeah, if they get what they want, this is about precedent. And and usually it's one of those things that kind of happens like, you know, let's not pay attention to the constitution. Not, let's not think about our, about our jurisdiction. And it's the, you know, some people who have legitimate authority though that are taking the authority of others of other people they're they're taking authority out of someone else's hands right they feel like something ought to be done so they're going to do it but it's not their jurisdiction right just because someone ought to be doing it doesn't mean these americans over here that have some civil authority should be taking charge of this the situation it's not their jurisdiction yeah and um and we the people haven't asked for this it's clearly well it's clearly the the motion picture companies that are tilting all of this in their own favor. Yeah, I saw a really great quote, and and a lot of this boils down to the MPAA and the companies involved are crying and going, "Oh, you know, we're losing all this money. You know, people pirate stuff, and we lose money." And and I, I cannot remember the quote is, so I can't link it. I'm very sorry, but I saw a post on Twitter. It was a couple months ago. That's why I, I would never find it at this point. But it was such a great quote. It's like. Yeah, he, he posted the stats for how much money these companies in the MPAA are making. And uh, he said, basically, um, yeah, you guys are making more money than you've ever made. So uh, you're not allowed to say anything more about this until you actually start losing money. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it is a it is a catch-22 there 
on I, I can see the point but at the same time it is true that if piracy didn't exist then all the movie watchers would be getting their you know presumably as long as they weren't shoplifting they'd be getting their movies by legitimate means i'm not convinced that that's correct i mean think about this for a minute the um availability of piracy does not mean that they would be they would then buy every one of those movies there may be some oh, games abs- right Right, because after all, a lot of people would just say the it, the cost isn't worth it to them. They would just forego having the entertainment altogether. Right. Yes, and 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 I think uh, um, and I, I think we need to move on and not belabor this. Uh, and because I'm just going to get more annoyed and really wax you know political, and we probably should move on from this. But one one more point I want to make. <laughs> I think this is related to something we talked about last week, which is the I think we talked about. It. I know I posted about it. I'm pretty sure we talked about it. The uh, film companies, um, the media companies, the MPAA, Sony Pictures, um, Paramount, everybody—they're fighting this. They're fighting the digital age, and this is the this is the root, I think, of the problem. Is their content is not widely available in enough formats and enough ways to to um, to head off piracy. Because think about it: most people, um, right. even though piracy has gotten easier and easier, most people still. They don't want to be involved in something that seedy. They don't want. They don't have the technical expertise, um, and so um, I think don't, most people don't want to pirate and don't maybe don't even think to pirate. Yeah. Um, and I think that what we're seeing is um, these companies are fighting the digital model, and instead of making content more available for um, for reasonable pricing. They're fighting it, and and they're they're I, they're they're coming out on the bottom, as far as I'm concerned. I don't see how they can't see that, but that's just me. Mm. I have to agree with you. I mean, I I do believe that when a film comes out, if it's worth watching, and you feel inclined, you don't want to wait, go watch it at the movie theater. Yeah, and uh, you know, everyone draws the line somewhere i i don't believe that you should go downloading a movie right out of the you know its release sure. um yeah I, I think that that is more than just a little bit seedy <laughs> but sure. then at the same time um it, it this goes back to jurisdictions it's it, it is wrong to do something for the right reason the wrong way agreed and uh and because this can get out of hand that it means you make a precedent to where the U.S. government can make uh, similar calls under other circumstances that don't pertain to entertainment, but to much more important matters. And, uh, you know, <laughs> it could turn into a pretty complicated, shady business, yeah. a pretty shady system. Well, unfortunately, I kind of predicted this sort of thing becoming more and more widely uh, happening more and more. Uh you know when SOPA was going on, I'm sure everybody in our audience remembers SOPA because there was oh, yeah. there was a. I mean, we all rose up as one and said, "No, you it may wasn't not, that long ago." Yeah, you may Huge not do deal. this, and and I was I was happy for that, but I said I, I I'm pretty sure I said somewhere uh, on my website or maybe I just said it on Facebook or something. But we haven't seen the end of this, and what's going to happen is they 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 too much all at once, and they probably are going to back way off, but then they're going to slowly. You know, start lowering the boom on this stuff in different ways, and I think yes, that's what, what they we're will. Seeing. Yeah, I think that's what we're seeing. So I think we should move on. Mm. Okay, so Joss Whedon signs on to direct and write Avengers two. I mean, come on, this was kind of a shoe in, but it's still exciting, right? 
Oh, definitely, because there was no guarantee that Joss Whedon was doing it for more than just, say, the money or for his own career boost. Joss Whedon's done a lot of great television, but The Avengers is really his first uh, debut to, you know, motion picture, you know, in the big screen. Right. So it was a big deal to do The Avengers. And I just kind of figured, you know, there's no guarantee that Joss Whedon is in this for a trilogy or beyond. So... Yeah. Uh, wow, it's it, it is it is very comforting to see he's making a return. Yeah, I think the it is very interesting. I I felt it was very interesting, a very interesting choice. I don't know who made this choice or how it came about, but I thought it was very interesting to get Joss Whedon to direct the Avengers. Not that I personally, when I saw it, I, I like whooped for joy, right? I mean, like for those of us who have followed Joss Whedon's career a little bit um, and know the good work that he's done, I, I never had any doubt that that would be a great movie and that it would be infused with the appropriate humor, but also have a really good story. Right. I mean, that's, that's what oh, Joss yeah. Whedon does. And he's very under the, his praises are very undersung. I'm afraid I, I don't, you know, and, and Fox of course has done really poorly by him, uh, with especially with Firefly, and, and I don't know if you know much about that, but airing the episodes out of order in a yeah. show that really needed to be in order, uh, and and you know nobody was able to get into it, and so it got canceled. And even people who like it now didn't like it when it aired on Fox because of how poorly Fox treated it in that way, because they couldn't get into it, they didn't know how to get into it. And so you know that doesn't even make any sense. Why why produce a brand new show? It's pilot season. Go to all this trouble to try and you know make a few bucks on it and then air it out of order yeah i, I mean it was just dumb it, it, who 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 was behind that i don't what know manager made that kooky mistake i hope they were fired because <laughs> yeah. because oh firefly is such a great show it's so annoying um but uh yeah so joss whedon is now signed on to direct the avengers 2 and that that's pretty exciting to me because the first avengers was great and and i feel like um I don't know to what extent there may have been some training wheels on Joss Whedon either. I know a lot of first-time directors of their first time out, uh, you know, maybe they have to bend a little to the studio's will on this or that because, you know, they don't really have a lot of experience. But now that he's got a successful one under his belt, it'll be interesting to see if anything changes in that way too. So Yeah, you know, in a similar way, I reckon Christopher Nolan not too long ago was getting his start in the movies sort of the same the same way he was getting his break from the Batman Begins. Mm-hmm. And uh you know it's kind of interesting these really talented directors getting their initiation through a pop movie franchise, you know, something like, you know, a Marvel movie or a DC movie. And you know, I thought it was pretty interesting, you know, I think of the Avengers as a pop film, but I also think of it as a really well done film. Exactly. And there's something to be appreciated that it is comedic. It's just got great cinematic appeal. The story is engaging. It's intelligent dealing with, you know, otherwise superficial, uh, you know, characters that in many ways are hard to take seriously. Yeah. And yet Joss Whedon knew the right balance of character development plot development and not insulting his audience like so many pop films do yeah just yeah, yeah. you know just grading on uh on everything everything i i think if you under if you get what i'm saying you know exactly what i'm saying and it drives you crazy too but uh just to give you an idea of what a difference joss whedon made for the first avengers film in this article on the wrap it says Thanks largely to the Avengers, the income at Disney's studio unit 
jumped to 313 million from 49 million a year earlier in the same quarter during its most recent fiscal quarter. Sorry. Overall, net income across all the Disney divisions jumped 24% to $1.8 billion for the period. That's crazy. <laughs> and, and, and they really attribute it to just one movie. And it, and it was an expensive movie to make on its own. Oh, sure. But it, it definitely blew the socks off everything else in the box office during that period of time. I mean, and it really was. I See, I went into The Avengers going, okay, it's going to be a great movie, you know. And I came out going... Wow, that was a great movie. I don't know. I, I don't know how you felt about it. Maybe I'm maybe I'm overseeing its praise. Maybe I'm overselling it. But um, I mean, for what it was, I mean, it, okay. There are certainly better movies, right? But and, and like you said, it's well, a top movie. But it was right. a great movie. And one of the big challenges for a film of this of this type, you know, people got to remember, and all uh, wow, how to describe it. An ensemble of superheroes up against a group of supervillains is a lot to ask your audience to believe in in two hours. You know, there's a lot of disbelief there. Uh, well, a lot of sensational elements. Yeah, it's you got to believe in a god. You have to believe in a man who's used an incredible amount of science. You got to believe that a guy can turn green and then turn back again to normal. <laughs> Yeah, you know, there's all kinds of ways in which this film is just loaded with sensationalism, and yet it just—it was ex- exceptionally well written, exceptionally well directed. Yeah, and 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 the and ensemble part is also interesting because um, I—it's very rare to see an ensemble cast like this this well done. I mean, because how do you get everybody to have their appropriate screen time and not feel like anybody's been shorted? And for the most part, I, I do have a few quibbles with Avengers, although I need to watch it again because it's been, you know, I only saw it once in the theater uh, back when it was in theater. Um, but you really feel like everybody got their appropriate screen time. Um, you never felt like uh, you never felt like anybody was uh, shorted from that, uh, mm. which is very hard to do and with that many characters and that short amount of time. But I think part of that comes from Joss' experience with TV. Uh, I don't know if you ever watched. Did you ever watch any Buffy episodes? I didn't watch any Buffy, but I watched Dollhouse and uh, Firefly. Okay. Uh, well, Firefly is much the same way. I mean, it has several characters. Um, and, and But Buffy's the one I'm most familiar with. I uh, hope that doesn't offend anybody in our audience. Yes, they use a lot of magic, and I'm not comfortable with that uh, that type of magic, I should, I should point out. Uh, but anyway, moving on. We won't dwell on that. Um, but, but one of the things that he did oh so well was um, getting you to uh, spend some time with every character in the series. At some point in the show, and any character that was prevalent in that, in that particular episode, you were going to spend some time with them. And, and I, think, uh, I think that uh, his experience with that really paid off for the Avengers. In many ways, oh wow, Joss Whedon seemed to learn a lot from just the way that te- good television works. And uh, most most really exceptional television involves an ensemble story cast, you know, yeah, an ensemble collection of characters, and that's one of the things about television. For a long time, filmmakers thought television could excel in that movies just can't. And Joss Whedon kind of proved, you know, hey, no, look, it does work. 
<laughs> here yeah. you go. Well, and I think it's going to be a poster child for such films for the future. I think that a lot of film schools will be studying and scrutinizing the Avengers film and probably its sequel for years to come to teach more filmmakers to look to this film as a great example. I am encouraged because for something like this, this is not quite what you'd call revolutionary, It's but it's great to see that it's giving movies a new lease on life, that they can, they can return to some ensemble stories. Yeah. It, it seemed to be a lost art past, you know, the 1950s. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, mostly I agree. Um, yeah, well, let me, let me, let me pull that, reel that back in. I'm, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to reserve my opinion on that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, I, I, I will have to say that Avengers did kind of break that mold because I was kind of in that same mindset where I I really like a good TV series with a good arc almost better. I won't say better, but almost. Like, like at least on the same level as a good two-hour film with a good arc, right? Like, because you can really tell a lot of story over the course of a season of a show or even two or three seasons sometimes. So, um, yeah, I, 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 and, and, and Josh Whedon did a great job of bringing that mindset to the two-hour format. So yeah, mm. I'm I'm really looking forward to Avengers two and looking forward to see what what happens there. Uh, didn't you just say Mark Ruffalo was the best Hulk ever? <laughs> no, really? No that that honor goes to Edward Norton. Oh. Yep. Oh. Sorry. Uh well, speaking of Ed Norton, I guess we should talk about his role in all things Born Legacy. N- nice segue, huh? <laughs> did you Quite. like what i did there <clears throat> yes it worked for me <laughs> all right born legacy joseph um i think anybody who reads movie bite will kind of get a little bit of impression that we have differing opinions on this film don't we well as of yet we haven't heard very much about your opinion so i think i'm really give just you a little bit more airtime i just alluded yeah. to it a little bit but before we do, before we give me some airtime um, I think that we really ought to kind of outline the plot for our audience. And let, let's just say right here, if you haven't seen this movie, we're going to spoil it to pieces. Let's just say that. So go watch it before yeah, you listen um, to this. I mean, we don't want you to not listen to our podcast by any means, but you need to watch yeah. this film. If you don't want it spoiled, we're about to spoil it. So go ahead and go ahead and, and outline the film for us, Joseph. Yeah, we're, yeah, we're going to dive right in. And yeah, so please stop the show if you don't want to spo- be spoiled. Uh, we can't say that enough. <laughs> okay, I'm moving on. So, in an extremely small nutshell, The Born Legacy is an expansion of the universe from the novel series that started with Born Identity. Grant you, the movies didn't really stick to that original novel series, so keep that, in, um, yeah, keep that in mind. But The Born Legacy is centered on a new hero, someone we've never seen before in the movies and never mentioned my to my understanding he's not mentioned it at all in the novel series and uh he's a new hero whose stakes have been triggered uh, by the events surrounding jason Bourne in the previous three films so the Bourne legacy is about an all-new spy and his story is is unfolding it's unraveling due to things that were happening in other parts of the cia with jason Bourne, and so the Bourne legacy actually overlaps a lot of the story of the Bourne Ultimatum, but their stories have very little to do with with each other, except for the fact that the CIA is trying to shut all these spies down. 
not to Remember shut them down. The, they're trying to wipe them out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they are. Uh, they're trying. Well, they're trying to shut down their spy programs like Treadstone and Blackbriar and this new one, which is called Outcome. And, and well, at least ways it's not new. It's just as old as Jason Bourne's uh, network of spies. But it's mm-hmm. the first time we've ever heard about it. Right. And this new spy, this spy that um, played by Jeremy Renner, who was Hawkeye in the Avengers. Mm-hmm. He is uh, Aaron Cross. And when everything starts breaking down for the division called Outcome, he is the only surviving spy from Outcome. And now he's on the run from the government and trying to save his own life and trying to save the life of a scientist who was involved in his program. So... Yeah, it gets pretty nasty pretty fast, and in the traditional born feel of things, it's, uh, well, in many ways, it feels a lot like the born identity, but it's not. It is not the born identity, and I'm not trying to say they're equals. Yeah, I, but, I, just, um, want, I just want to break in and say, how could you do that to the born identity? Okay, move on. <laughs> yeah, no, you tell me. Well, let's let's just talk about the other films for a minute. Yeah, we should do that. I really liked The Born Identity. Oh. From the first time I saw it, I was sold on it. I, I wanted to go back and watch it again because there were pieces I just hadn't wrapped my mind around. Yes. It was like a film like no other we had seen for spy films to date. It was it was groundbreaking. Uh, it was also introducing Matt Damon to a wider audience. He had played many very successful parts before he played Jason Bourne, but this was what gave him his big break. Yeah, I, you know, I really liked The Bourne Identity. I mean, and, and it's obviously, obviously, so I think you'd agree with this, the best film in, in the series so far, by far. Would you say that it was probably an unexpected um, success to the extent at which it was successful? I don't know. I wasn't watching films at the time, um, so I can't really say kind of what, what the thought or sentiment was then, but I, I would guess oh, so. Oh, that's right. You weren't born yet. Right. Uh, okay. Right. Okay. Yeah. Like you said last week, I wasn't born yet. No, no. I just, I wasn't, you know, wasn't paying attention to films at the time uh, in that way. And I, I don't know. I, I, I kind of think so, though. Um, I, I just don't think it was expected to be the success it was necessarily. Now, The Born Identity cost $60 million to make. An opening weekend, the Born Identity made twenty-seven million. Uh, gross, it's made one hundred and twenty-one million. Yeah, so it's doing okay. It did okay. Yeah, in other words, it did. All, all things considered, that means about you know, uh, they they made uh well. Usually, you want at least a double a return on your investment. And for a lot of these larger companies, that's what they're aiming to do. Sure. And they 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 definitely succeeded there. Yeah. They got double of their investment. So that's, I mean, that's good. It did okay. Um, yeah, and that's interesting. I would have thought it would have made more money than that. Maybe that, maybe the series gained popularity over time because it feels like a bigger thing than that to me now. Yeah, I think it had a lot to do with being the first. Yeah, people nope. didn't know what it was. They didn't know they should go see it, you know. And 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 now that you know, it's more widely available on on home video and DVD and Blu-ray. It probably maybe it's gained more traction because it certainly seems like a bigger thing in the culture now than than a hundred. What do you say, hundred twenty million? Yeah, 120. And to give you an idea, the Born Supremacy made gross 176 million. Yeah. So. So yeah, it definitely got more popular with the franchise expanding. Yeah, and and you know a lot of things, and it's interesting. I just watched the trilogy again, the original trilogy, 
a lot of things worked so well for me in The Born Identity and that first film, The Born Identity, it didn't have nearly as much shaky cam as I remember. There was a little bit of it there. But that didn't really pick up until the second film. Um, the, the first film, I thought, was very well executed cinematically. Um, and and even for the most part, I, I, I think I mentioned to you that the music didn't work for me as well as I remembered, but it still worked really well, and especially that opening theme. I mean, that's just it was just such a grabbing theme. Um, you know, something that... Um the ultimatum and legacy don't have going for it as well as the identity and supremacy is the suspense level. These days, a lot of films are high on intensity, high on a thrilling aspect, but they, they're they're not as successful at creating a stirring suspense as a scene is unfolding. Yeah. Like just that feeling that something is genuinely unpredictable in a movie as you're seeing it. Yeah, I, in fact, that's one of my notes that I have here uh, on the Bourne legacy, which I, we'll get to in a minute, but I'll just say, no suspense. Where was the suspense? There was no suspense. Not even as 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 as, as poorly as Ultimatum, I'm sorry, not Ultimatum, what was it, <laughs> Supremacy, as poorly as Supremacy was. That's the second one, right? I get these confused uh-huh. in my head. It was. Yeah, um, it was. Uh, I get the names confused. I don't get the movies confused. Um, as, as, as poorly executed and unsuspenseful as Supremacy was, Legacy was far worse. In my opinion. I find the Born Supremacy's name alone to be ironic, seeing as how I don't think it was supreme over the rest of the film series. Oh, I just kind of, well, yeah, okay, that's so, how I remember it was the second film because I'm like, oh yeah, it's the it's the one with the ironic title. <laughs> I, I actually enjoy the film. Okay, like I don't I don't hate it. I I can watch it and it's not that big of a deal. But but I think what really killed that film uh, was killing um, Maria Marie. I'm sorry, killing Marie. Uh, at the beginning of the film, practically at the beginning, and that's—I know that's supposed to be the motivation and everything—but it was—it 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 was poorly done, and and it just kills the suspense for the whole movie. Well, I think it's a bigger problem than that. And killing Maria, Marie, Maria Marie. was sure just Marie. a um, was just one of the symptoms of a greater issue with the entire supremacy, and that was that it deviated in dramatic ways. It got away from the novel series. And the reason I think that that was a problem this time around was because um, whether the filmmakers believed that the story in the Supremacy novel was as compelling as what they were going for, they they didn't have a good vantage point. They, they were It was a shot in the dark. They created so many changes to uh, the, the story that... Uh, how do you put it? It's just... It was a machine. Yes. At that point, it, it was Universal Studio saying, okay, we obviously cannot make this movie the way the book it was written because then it wouldn't make enough money be, <laughs> right. because they didn't believe in it, right? They didn't believe <laughs> that that story could be as genuinely successful. So when they decided they were going to make a film that was going to be more popular than Identity by getting away from the Identity's roots, that was a mistake. Um, that, that 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 left the film vulnerable for greater mistakes to come, and and just the biggest of them all. You you hit it on the head. It is the biggest of them all. A lot of people may not know, but in the novel series, Jason's love interest didn't die. Right. And and that is that is huge. What if Leia's you know Leia Organa 
Well, and uh, the Empire Strikes Back was just wiped out, and you know how that would dramatically change the rest of the story. Yeah. Whether her character does anything else significantly or not, if there was a remake to tell the Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi without her character, well, well, let, let, it'd let, be earth shattering. Let me be clear, though. I don't have a problem with characters being killed if they're killed well. Um, and and in okay, I know this is not real life, but it's not supposed to be real life. This is supposed to be a great story. And you can't just kill a character like that. I, I don't think no. you should. And no. she was killed in a way that didn't make any sense for no reason at all. And it, uh, I know, well, okay, the reason was supposed to be the motivation that drove him to the rest of the film, but it didn't work. Uh, you well, really think I that? Think, I think, uh, yeah. But, but, but here's the thing. You're, you're right. It, it uh, was to create better motivation for Jason for the rest of the film. And obviously that carried over into the ultimatum. But then it retroactively destroyed Maria's significance in identity yeah, because he now knew no matter how special she is to Jason, she's just about to get killed. Yeah. It doesn't matter how hard he, he fights for her. The good guy doesn't get anything he wants. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's just majorly deflating. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I, I, uh, when I was watching rewatching the series, uh, I actually tweeted one of the things I tweeted. I just got done watching the Born Identity and thought, man, I had forgotten how good this film was. Such a great film, such a great cinematography, such great choreography. Uh, yeah, everything yeah. was great about the Born Identity. And I watched the Born Supremacy, and again, I enjoyed it for what it was. And it wasn't like I hated it or anything, but I, I tweeted, I had forgotten the cinematography and the choreography in the Born Supremacy is shockingly bad. And, yes. and that really was striking to me too. Not just the cinematography, not just the let's just see how much we can shake the camera and make you seasick um the choreography that sh- that shaky cam was covering for something and that was that the choreography was shockingly bad it was so bad the the fights were just i mean if you, uh man i i have no more words it was just bad <laughs> it was just bad how did you really feel tj <laughs> uh, i'll i'll let you know that later when i when i kind of when i kind of let my hair down but uh oh. um <laughs> it was bad well, but but you know the um, born the born okay. ultimatum um, actually recovered from that a lot. Um, I I did like the born ultimatum. I, it's my second favorite of the born series right now. It it probably is my third favorite, but by a just by a hair. So you would say that just. it's not as good as uh, supremacy. Oh no 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 no! Oh 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 oh, oh, oh no man no! This is so uh, so much better than Legacy. Oh you! Uh, I can't even talk to you. Wow. Okay. Okay. Well, we should well, talk about well, Legacy. Yeah, no no no. Let's uh, just real quick. Let's uh let's take a small rabbit trail to kind of address something that pertains to how we rate films and how we how we try to judge them, give them our likes and dislikes and stuff like that. Okay. I, it, people, I, I try to be I try to be objective here. I try to look out for general audiences' interests and at the same time I try to pay attention to the greater bigger picture that, you know, a film is really trying to do something remarkable. It's trying to be a creative work. It's trying to be transcendent of our times. Great films that are uh, film, sorry, films that are transcendent of our times are typically the great films. Films yes. that are very, very timely, we may really love them for what they are in the moment, but their the, their value is fleeting. So, why do we like them? Because for personal. 
preferential reasons in, you know, just for the moment, we, well, we like the more. Um, what this reflects on is our objective and uh, subjective, you know, nature as human beings. Um, and so th- I've had to kind of compartmentalize it and define a difference between those films that are my personal favorites and those films that I believe are truly, truly great. Uh, so I'm not. I, I've been thinking about this for about two years now. As long as I've been re- reviewing movies, I can honestly say I think it makes sense to me. Okay, okay. <laughs> but in my mind, the Born Ultimatum is worthy of four out of five stars. Objectively, here, I think it's actually that good a film. Like if if I'm just rating it for general audiences, it's worth four out of five stars. And I think that the the Born Legacy. So did I say the Born Ultimatum a moment ago? Because that's the one I meant gets four stars. I thought you said Legacy, but I'm I okay. Made, but anyway, the, the Born Ultimatum. It's a Born okay, Ultimatum. Okay, but I I meant the Born. Yeah, the Born Ultimatum four solid stars. No wait, now um, that's me trying to be objective. But but you you didn't you say that it doesn't rate as highly as Legacy to you? Which you gave it yes and a half star in, in my review. personal preferential yes in my personal preferential opinion I prefer as a personal favorite the Born Legacy over the Born Ultimatum okay and that's what I'm talking about there there's our subjective standard over here where it's kind of like you know I know that the Empire Strikes Back is supposed to be the best of the original Star Wars trilogy but I really personally I like A New Hope more. You're just crazy. You're crazy. Yeah, it's it. Yeah, no, yeah. That's the way. That's the way I perceive it. Yeah. So I, I'm saying that if I had to try and be objective, I'd give the legacy three and a half out of five stars. But I like it more than I like the Born Ultimatum, and here's why: the Ultimatum is an extremely well-made film, but I felt like it took forever to get Jason. To where he finally got something that he wanted. It kept for the for a good portion of the film. It felt like it was very redundant of what happened in the supremacy and identity. Hmm. And then finally, near the la- the last thirty to forty minutes of the film, it made some real groundbreaking scenes and advanced the story in a really cool way. But only the, you know the real redeeming scenes of the ultimatum were the last forty minutes. So so that's why it's not my personal favorite because I think that it's it, it could have been more creative than it was. And if you watched it all on its own, it's a great film, but if you look at it in the bigger whole of the trilogy, I don't think it's as as in, as interesting as say um even things that they were trying to accomplish in the supremacy. And now maybe I'm just talking over everybody's head. Yeah, <laughs> maybe I mean, this I, well, is maybe this is too complicated. I mean, I think it's obvious that you and I take different approaches for sure. Um, okay, you know, yeah, I, I don't want to sound crazy or anything. I, pr- I probably sound crazy. Well, it's too late for that. But uh, anyway, <laughs> <laughs> all right, I'm uh, yeah, all right. <laughs> okay, so TJ, what do you think? What did you think of the ultimatum? Uh, the ultimatum. Yeah, well, I mean, you really, you yeah, you really haven't said anything about the ultimatum yet. I just wanted you to be sure to touch upon it. Um, okay, well, the ultimatum was, I think, my second favorite film. 
and I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that they refined the shaky cam cinematography so that it wasn't so irritating. Uh, and so it worked much better uh, in that way. I, I know that's like most audiences don't care about that, at least not in the, as such, but I think they care overall. Um, because supremacy was so hard to follow, just given how bad the cinematography was. Um, so, so, so that's one aspect. The second aspect of Ultimatum, why I think it's the second best, is because the storytelling is better. Um, it, it, I actually like the way they fit it with the previous film, where so the events kind of start back before the last scene of the previous film, and you kind of fill in some back detail and figure out exactly uh, what's going on as the film progresses. I like that. That's that's really good storytelling to me. Um, mm. And you're right. It did redeem a little bit about the supremacy. Yes, precisely. Um, and and I, just just the whole hand and glove, the way it fit together. I mean, that to me, that's just that's a that's a really great way to tell a story. And I, of course, um, liked the, the conclusion of the series. I, I think it's one of the better conclusions to a trilogy, uh, just in the way they left it somewhat open ended. Jason's still alive; he's still out there, but things kind of also came to a head, and you didn't have. And this is one of my complaints with Legacy: is it opened up a can of worms that we had closed with with uh, supremacy. I'm, I'm not. I'm sorry. Ultimatum, uh, where Pamela Landy had the damning evidence on these bad guys at the CIA and and you saw the hearings taking place and things were kind of closed that way and then you in legacy you kind of open it back up that Pamela Landy wasn't doing so well with her case and stuff and I'm like that that just sort of turned ultimatum on its head uh so you know I I know I'm kind of talking about legacy now but that was that's kind of going back to what I liked about ultimatum being undone by legacy yeah kind of the way that I felt yeah Maria was undone by the supremacy if you go back to watch identity yeah yeah so i i really uh, and and here's uh to contrast to compare and contrast uh jason Bourne to aaron cross um i really like the character arc of jason Bourne, who he starts out as uh he doesn't remember who he was and we start finding out with him he wasn't such a great guy he was doing things that uh he was told to do and you could kind of make excuses for him that way but yet he was doing it kind of mindlessly and you shouldn't be making excuses for him and he doesn't like that he doesn't like what he saw in himself and so he 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 even tells marie at some point i don't like who i was i don't want to do that anymore i want out um and and i like i love that character arc it's 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 a great character arc for jason Bourne. It, it is very creative very unusual yeah and it's very refreshing yes Compare, compare and contrast, if I can move to Legacy for just a minute. Um, th- th- what th- what was compelling about Aaron Cross's character arc? Right? Do you, do well, you his char- yeah, his character arc was dismal. It was horrible. I will give you that. Uh, do, do you want Do you want me to talk about my dislikes now, or what do you already want um, to go? Well, uh, in the b- bigger scheme of things, how about we just real quick uh, highlight the the written review? And then I'll, I'll let you unleash. Okay, sure. No, go ahead. Uh, you wrote a review uh, about this film, much as I have done yeah. with a couple of the other films uh, previously. But we, I let, since I knew that you uh, liked this film better than I did, uh, and and because I, you know you hadn't written a review on the site yet, I said, why don't you write the review? So tell us right. about your review. Okay. Well, first off, uh, we should we should acknowledge that we both think that the film is worth watching. It's just um, hmm. how does it rank compared to the other I'd, three? I don't know that I'd say the film is worth watching. 
Really? So you would put it below the supremacy? I, I would. Oh, way below. Hmm. <laughs> way down on the bottom rung. <laughs> let me hmm. give you just. Let me just give you a little uh, preview into how I'm feeling about this film. I would give it a one star. Hmm. Okay. That's, I. I uh, yeah, is it worth watching? Ugh, that's a hard question to answer. I, I don't have any desire to ever see it again and, and don't know that I would have gone and seen it in the first place had I known how bad it was. That's how I feel about it. But hmm. you, I mean, everybody has to make their own decision. So on that level, sure, you have to go see it for yourself. Yeah, you're absolutely entitled to be wrong. I'm, I understand. <laughs> 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 okay, well, I'll just be wrong then. I'll be wrong. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so um, in my in my review, I didn't want to say the sort of things that a lot of um, critics care to highlight. I want to try and shed light on perhaps the perspective I I think that the general audience takes towards a film like this. They they want a good popcorn film. They want something that reminds them of Bourne, while at the same time is very respectable to Bourne, so that it doesn't try to replace Jason. I mean, you got to admit, hearing about this story, you wondered, why doesn't it have Matt Damon in the film? Sure. And you just imagined quickly that they were planning to have another actor fill the role of Jason Bourne. And that's not what they did at all. They understood that. I think that the filmmakers got that. And the reason that they got that was because the writer of the first three film screenplays is the director for The Legacy. Um, Tony Gilroy, he has written a couple of other um, espionage-related um, stories, a few other scripts. He's directed a few. He's not really – he's still somewhat untested, but mm-hmm. he has shown a lot of talent. He excels at these sort of um, sort of realistic, but not really, just you know, serious-minded um, espionage spy action movies. Um, for instance, on the whole, I prefer – a Bourne style spy film over a Bond film because Bond is so arrogant because you know, that is his character. He is just so arrogant. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard for me to swallow that he is the lead protagonist. And then he does so many preposterous things. <laughs> and so do his villains right. that it's, it's really just a show. It's just a big show. It's very fun. It's it's great. I one of my one of my favorite action films is the Casino Royale. I, I like several other uh, of the um, the you know like Goldeneye. I really liked that one as well. But um, even so, I prefer what they're going for in a born spy film, which is distinct from all other spy films. Um, I think that Jeremy Renner, he couldn't possibly replace Matt Damon but even Matt Matt admitted that if the Bourne trilogy were to continue on to develop another spy story he felt comfortable with someone like Jeremy Renner when he couldn't think of anyone else that could do that for him mm-hmm. um, so when they when they thought about this movie they needed a, a completely new story that suited the genre this uh, special style of the Bourne series that was respectable to Jason's story and uh, yet told some more. Um, And in this way, I think the audience got their popcorn film. I think that they got the film that they were hoping for. It it carries the same sort of action. It carries on the same sort of realism. And it it introduces a few new um, locales and introduces new characters that don't seem to well they they do fit 
They fit in the same world as Bourne. Even though they weren't ever brought up in the Bourne films, they feel like they belong there, just in a different you know room over in the CIA. And on the other side of town, while Jason was running from the government over here in this part of the world, other spies were out doing their thing on another part. Um, ultimately, yeah, there were a couple of clever scenes. I thought that the wolf scene was awesome. The chemical factory scene was cool. I'll give you the wolf scene for sure. Yeah. Um, and I don't want to spoil that for people, to be honest, because that's that one's worth seeing in theaters without yeah being spoiled. Yeah. But now some of my dislikes. I think that you're right. Aaron Cross is, mm, as much as Jeremy Renner does a great job coming into this film, Aaron Cross is not as interesting as Jason Bourne. But at the same time, I feel like Jason Bourne's story got way too emotional and way too over-psychological at times over the course of the entire trilogy. I just felt like it was too deep, like, okay, you're supposed to be the spy with awesome training, then if you can, you know, oh man, if you can beat up all these guys as well as you do, if you're so sharp, then why can't you control your emotions a little bit better at times? That's kind of how I felt. But mm. uh, um, Yeah, okay, what a, we'll agree to disagree. So Aaron um, Cross is a no. welcome to relief to Jason Bourne in that way, but at the same time, he is a flat line compared to Jason Bourne. I do want to say this. Regardless of my opinion on the movie and the script, my my, my problems are with the script. I I think that uh, Jeremy Renner and Rachel Weisz did a great job in the acting. Hmm. They they were fine as far as that goes. My problems are with the script. Huh. And that's funny, too, because um, was the legacy written by the director, too? Yeah, one of the, well, he was one of the writers, and apparently someone related to him, Dan Gilroy. Um, there are a couple other credited writers for the film. Uh, well, obviously, they take some inspiration from the novel series, but you can't say that the author of the novels had anything to do with the film, really. Yeah. But yeah, Gilroy and his brother Dan, uh, T- Tony and Dan, were responsible for the screenplay for The Bourne Legacy. Mm-hmm. Uh, my last two complaints about the legacy were that one, the villain was canned, and you know, just oh, yeah. there's really nothing to look forward to going into the film as far as the villain is concerned. He he is what he is. He just represents a canned villain. And then there is the motorcycle chase uh, near the end of the film, and ultimately the climax. They were just very deflating. Uh, the motorcycle chase didn't live up to some of the chases in previous born films not at all and and then the way it ended was anticlimactic oh it's horrible i I was just like really that's it this is the end i was in my i was in a theater with my brother-in-law and i was still at this point waiting for the film to be redeemed somehow like something is going to make it all worthwhile and and then and then i'm in the theater with my brother-in-law and the music comes on everybody well known every born film has ended with it the uh, i can't think of the name of it right now but you know that comes on, and I look over at Dave. And I'm like, "What? What? What? what, what it's just missing. Happened? What just? It happened? looked like it was missing fifteen yeah. or twenty minutes. <laughs> well, you really are kind of like, what just happened? <laughs> you yeah. felt like because you felt like they were getting ready. Like the, the, we've been going somewhere. Uh, you've been leading up to something. What is it? I'm waiting for the reveal, and and the yes. reveal never happened. That's I guess that's one of my biggest complaints with this film is the reveal never happened. Yeah, you're right. And there, I, just, I didn't write that down. A, I just now figured that out. Yeah, the bubble bursts, and you're kind of like, for real, man? 
Yeah, you're, you're, uh, for me, I thought it was a fun film up to that very moment. Come the end of the motorcycle chase, and I was like, okay, okay, and then now let's get to the real climax. And then they wrapped it up. Right. <laughs> so so um, it, uh, I'm, I'm anxious to dive in here to some of the stuff that I don't like. Is that All okay? right. Far um, away, yeah. Uh, so speaking of that, in that vein, what what that makes a story about? See, I kept thinking they're going to shift what the story's about. But now, because of the way the film ended and because of everything that happened throughout the film, what the film is about is essentially a guy who's desperate to do anything so that, to, to, so that he doesn't lose these enhancements that he has. It's all about him. And, you know, I mean, there, yeah, there was an element of that with Jason as well. But it was never just about him and keeping his enhancements. It was about figuring out who he was and what he had done and, and, and how to fix it. And and with with Jeremy Renner with with Aaron Cross the, the whole thing the whole story is about him making sure he doesn't lose these enhancements that he's got. That's 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 his whole goal and that's what he's doing and that's that I really disliked that I couldn't get into that mindset. I, I you know I, I don't feel that it's quite that shallow but you are right that that is his ultimate goal. I just don't think that he is doing it purely out of selfish reasons. He wants to be around for later when the fight escalates to a, a, a bigger degree. Yeah, I mean, after all, it's the same rundown my brother-in-law gave me when we were talking yeah, about it going out of the film. I, it, I, I don't agree right. with that. You're I, right. It wasn't very well executed. You have to suppose that there. it, it is plausible that this character, Aaron Cross, was simply just trying to survive and he didn't give a darn about what was going on at the CIA. Well, because you, they tried to humanize him a little bit, and they tried to, you know, with those scenes, those which didn't work very well, but they cut back to him with the thing on his head, and he was obviously, I don't know, was it some injury, and he wasn't very bright, and I, I didn't quite get what they were trying to say about that, although just that it was bad, and that he didn't want to go back to it, and that was it. I mean, so you, they tried to humanize him and just wound up making him look really selfish. <laughs> that, that, I mean, that's how I feel about it. Um you know, I, I wrote down, <laughs> at first I wrote down, I, I made my notes, I put uh, three categories, likes, the possibilities, and dislikes. And and, and on their likes, at first I wrote, I can't think of any. <laughs> but uh, then uh, there, there yeah. are things like the wolf scene that were, were fine, you, you know, so it's not really fair to say there weren't any. But, can, can I add one more comment about uh, the Aaron Cross character? Yes, go ahead. Um, I think that the film is poor about the ult- his ultimate arc in every way. And that's why it's kind of tougher to appreciate what was Aaron trying to achieve. And it's probably for a lack of that real climax that we were anticipating. But what I think that what I, the reason I think that his character is ultimately redemptive and why he is a hero and not just a selfish jerk that's, you know, out to survive and, just want steroids or whatever you want to say those things were during the film. Right. Is that he's ultimately chosen very late in the film that the reason he wants to survive is because he wants to be there for the girl. I think that they have established that he is there with the girl come the end of the film and she needs him. And that is why he lives. And now it's, it's not just that for his own reason that he should try to fight to live. It's that now he's there for her. Um, and so without without really expanding on that theme that he was there from this point on to care for Marta Shearing and to develop that relationship, they just kind of they just kind of did it. Yeah. And, and so for me, I, I kind of think that that's how he is redemptive, that he doesn't live this moment forward to just be some super spy gone rogue. 
he he lives to be there for Martha. Uh, for Marta. Do you find it odd? And and speaking of Marta and and the arc with him, do you find it odd and a little bit schizophrenic that? Uh, and I'm asking you because you liked it better than I did. So I'm just trying to figure mm-hmm. out if it's just me. Do you find it odd that all of a sudden he, he's in he's in Alaska? He avoids the the thing, makes him think he's dead, and then all of a sudden he shows up at Marta's old house to save her, just in the nick of time. And and before this point, we've been cutting back and forth between all kinds of scenes, and all of a sudden we're with Marta, we're with Marta, we're with Marta, we're with Marta, we're with Marta. All of a sudden he's there. We never cut to kind of see any tension of him finding out. Oh, holy cow! They blew up the thing. Oh, all the scientists are dead. Oh, I remember this one lady. Scientist. None of that. There was no development of that at all. <laughs> yeah, you're right. There is something of a gap there. Um, I don't think it really bothered me though, because the moment I saw him leap from off camera to collide into the guy who was about to kill Marta with her own hands, I just I was just kind of like, "Whoa, how did he get there?" And then I thought to myself, in you know, a blink of an eye, I thought to myself, "Eh, Aaron born, Cross, huh? <laughs> yeah, he's born." We we already saw Bourne do that sort of thing, right. track people down, take weeks to get there on foot, you know, in a banged up old jeep or whatever he had to his you know at his disposal. In this film, they wanted to get back to okay. Let, we have more more interesting story to tell than just seeing uh, you know Aaron <laughs> Cross try to cross country and you know figure out where this woman was in hiding. Only they didn't have better story to tell. <laughs> <laughs> wow, you're really yeah, you, you're really digging it on this uh, film as as uh, dan would say to merlin man you're on fire yeah so let me before i talk about more dislikes uh, i said i had three categories and the possibilities and and what i mean by that is um i really liked the concept why why i got you know at, at first i didn't like it when i saw the first trailer but then i started getting more into it i kind of like the concept uh, there was never just one. Uh, that 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 made a lot of sense to me. That concept. So, you know, I, I was getting geared up for the movie after after a couple of trailers, and and then you know, I really like the concept that the movie takes place as Jason arrives in New York, basically from the previous movie, and so it's kind of overlapping, and you kind of get the you kind of get the tie in that way, and that really works for me, kind of like the previous movie did. I really like that, um, but but then it just didn't pay off at all. And, and the first thing that I wrote, the very first bullet point in my dislikes column, why? Why did we tell the story? Why do we care? Why are we supposed to care? They, I spent the first 30 minutes of this film, at least, trying to figure out what was going on. What uh, what was the connection? What drove Aaron Cross? Why did we care about Aaron Cross? What was going on? I, I mean, it was very kind of discombobulating, the, very, the first act of the film. <laughs> Yeah, and except for the wolf scene, which was well done, there was never really any tension or a little bit at the house and a little bit on the motorcycle chase, which wasn't that well executed, you know. And then Cross gets shot, and then all of a sudden he's okay and he's on a boat. Mm. So, uh, I should I should quit complaining now. That's that's really it. I just didn't uh, <laughs> one star, one star, and I don't I don't generally give one star to anything, not apps, not movies. You know, you know I, th- I think it's really important uh, just to get some perspective on a movie by figuring out what you think first and then looking to see what other critics think and what the audience, general audience says. And, um, you know, this one isn't an open and shut case where audiences flat out disagreed. It wasn't a great, you know, film or that they uh, they really appreciated the film. 
either. If you check out IMDb, you'll see that they're giving it 7.3 stars out of 10. And basically, that's about where I stand, because if you change the rating scale from 5 stars to 10 stars like IMDb does, 3.5 stars is basically 7 stars. Right, right. Um, I kind of stand like-minded with the critics there on IMDb. However... A different gathering, you know, group of people with a different group of, you know, statistical data over at Rotten Tomatoes, the critics there gave it uh, 53% out of 100. And so that, that means it's just, it's frankly, it's rotten. Yeah. It, it's not, it's not a good film. And of audiences on Rotten Tomatoes, they gave it only 61% out of 100. And so that's, you know, that's kind of an epic failure, too. Um, to fall so short, I would have at least expected the audience to be, I don't know, I, I guess I'm surprised. And this is out of uh, 120,000 user ratings, 120,000 people just in general audiences mm-hmm. that rated it on Rotten Tomatoes. I've, I've heard a lot of people, and I, I really try to keep an open mind, but um, even before I saw the film, I heard a lot, because I saw it late, unfortunately, I had a lot of people heard a lot of people complaining about it saying boy i i was i had expectations previous war movies and i went to see it and it's the worst of them all (laughs) i guess maybe that is one major difference um because because you know i don't know maybe i shouldn't govern my human nature so much but I learned as a uh, a movie reviewer during 2011 that if I was going to continue to appreciate and enjoy my job watching so many movies and theaters, that I would have to lower my expectations for just about any given film before I went to see it at the theaters. Mm. Um, no matter how attractive the trailers might be, you really never know. And it doesn't matter who the cast is. It doesn't matter who the director is. They will They will disappoint you. Um, I know a lot of people, you know, they get around to watching a movie about three or four times a year, but then there's a lot of people who watch a lot of movies, and I'm not naturally one of those people. I prefer to see a movie in theaters about three to five times a year. Hmm. So I'm, you know, you know how they say the best people for politics are those people who don't want to be in politics because sure. those are the people you would trust? Yeah. I think that the same is true for people you want reviewing your movies. You want people that are not inclined to, you know, binge themselves on the movies to to review them. And so that's one of the reasons I enjoy doing them, because I, I reckon I kind of represent as much as possible. Um, I try to represent uh, the everyday film, you know, watcher that doesn't get an overdose of movies, isn't a, a TV glutton. Um, but, you know, I'm not saying I'm special or that I'm objective here. I. I think I uh, just perhaps the reason I enjoyed this movie as much as I did was because I lowered my expectations so much hmm. that it just paid off for me because when so, going into the film, I was kind of like, eh, it's not as bad as I expected. So you kind of take the uh, Andy Anatko approach where I take the uh, John Syracuse approach. Oh, okay. <laughs> 
you know, because Andy Anatko likes to take with with his uh, technology stuff. This, and we're talking uh, for our audience' sake. We're talking about uh, technology guys. Uh, on, both have podcasts on Five by Five, and and Andy Anatko takes the everyman's approach. I try to be everyman. And John in Syracuse, you know, his his show is called Hypercritical. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, uh, and he he is. I don't know if I'm as hypercritical about anything as, as John Syracuse. <laughs> I'd love to listen to him, but um, yeah. I, I certainly appreciate him a lot more. I think for me than Andy Anaka. So, so it's probably we're probably a good fit, Joseph. We kind of cover all the bases. Um, mm. But uh, yeah, um, I I just wanted to read this real quick from Roger Ebert, his review of the Born Legacy. Just the opening line. The Born Legacy is a story of a man who needs some medication and spends the whole movie trying to get it. This is good medicine. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But he gave it, uh, uh, well, I think his rating system is a four star, and he gave it three, uh, two and a half. Sorry, two and a half. So, uh, yeah, he liked it better than I did. Um, the film, though, um, did you did you mention already? I can't remember the uh, film's gross so far. I have not. Box Office Mojo says that the opening is uh, the opening was thirty eight thousand uh, thirty eight million one hundred forty two thousand eight hundred twenty five. Lifetime gross is forty six million three hundred forty four thousand. So, you know, not not doing great. I mean, it's no, doing, it's, it is it's doing okay. You know, it's, yeah. There will probably it, be another born film, but uh, <laughs> th- this past weekend it did top um, the Dark Knight Rises, but that's really not saying much. Well, since... I mean, how long has the Dark Knight Rises been out now? Yeah, uh, we're going on three weeks. Yeah, so yeah, it makes sense that it would. And I wonder too. It'll, I'm going to be interested to see how it does this next weekend because the first weekend you probably get a lot of people who like the Born series coming to see it, no matter what. And and then you know the question is is it going to fall off sharply because it was not any good or you know people eh, you know are they recommending it to their friends or not is the question. Yeah. So okay. So the budget for the Born Legacy one hundred and twenty seven million, and you know for a film with that kind of sizable budget, you do expect a better film. Yeah. Because the Born Ultimatum, which is arguably. Uh, to a lot of people, it's the best of the other Bourne films. But at least ways, it's very popular. It ranks yes. highly. Uh, a lot. I guess you could say most people would agree it's the second of uh, of them all. And it's it made, it made the, the most money of all these films so far. Yeah. Well, the budget for the Bourne Ultimatum was $110 million. Mm. So, yeah, the, the Legacy spent an extra $17 million, and it's not even equals to the second best. So there you go. Yeah. Um, too bad. <laughs> the one another born film bites the dust. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, it's a, it's a in my opinion a hugely missed opportunity to tell a much better story. And and it is it's an example where you know it happens. Uh, movies are art, and so uh, not everything is under the filmmaker's control. They cannot really. There isn't a formula for making a incredibly successful, incredibly profitable movie. No, and in fact, formulaic movies tend to be bad movies. <laughs> exactly. And so it, it's funny how there's this somewhat oxymoronic um, twist, how we can sing the praises of filmmakers like Joss Whedon and Christopher Nolan because they seem to get the filmmaking. They just they understand the art. Right. And they do a terrific job. And yet... 
it's true that at the same time, there isn't a formula to it. There, there is an art to it, but there's not a formula. And so those guys are just, well, frankly, they got a lot of talent. And even then, you know, there's a film like The Dark Knight Rises that for many don't, you know, it doesn't live up to The Dark Knight or Batman Begins. Yeah. So, yep. yeah, there you go. I mean, this this just, it happens. Yep. Sometimes sequels don't live up to their their uh, their prequels. and Well, not prequels, but the previous sequels, and we all know this. So don't get your hopes up. Go into the movie. You'll love it. <laughs> <laughs> TJ's all right, lips TJ. are sealed. <laughs> <laughs> well, we should wrap this up. We're, we're running longer than we wanted to again. What, what else is to do? I think we're just going to have to resign ourselves <laughs> that we're going to run over an hour. We're just going to yeah. Uh, so, well, all you right. Know. Well, well, next week we, uh, let's let folks know what they can look forward to. Um, given the passing of Mel Stewart, who directed Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, we thought we would talk about next week Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. It's one of my favorite movies that I have a memory of from childhood, and I've even watched it as an adult, although it's been several years. So, uh, well, I'm going to watch it again this week. I assume you will probably do the same, and then we'll talk about it. Uh, on the yeah, next I'm looking podcast. forward to it. Yeah, it's a, it's a fun film. All right. Well, uh, Joseph, I uh, appreciated talking with you about this film. I'm glad that one of us liked it so that uh, we could have that perspective for our audience. Uh, where can folks find you on the Internet? I am Joseph Darnell on Twitter and on Facebook. And my website is jivingjackalope.com. Jivingjackalope.com. And it seems like every time I have to tell somebody that's my website, they ask me, how do I spell that? Just look them up the way yeah. that they're properly spelled jivingjackalope.com. I don't know why I get that question. I just have to ask. I've never asked you before. Where does this jiving jackalope thing come from? Is this a throwback to the America's Funniest People jackalope? Uh, definitely not. Okay. Um, <laughs> and, uh, but yeah, I, I can't, I cannot say where the jackalope came from. It just popped into my head one day. Okay. Well, I'm pretty sure I'd have to look it up, but I'm pretty sure that, uh, I don't, think the jackalope i think that's where the jackalope originated was america's funniest people i could be wrong hmm. uh no Maybe. okay the jackalope is a mythical animal of north american folklore okay so america's funniest people just sort of ripped it off that was first i'd ever heard of it was america's funniest people <laughs> i i really appreciated the short film uh, by pixar with the jackalope but even so there's really no corollary okay. um but yeah i get asked that a lot <laughs> it was it was just Honestly, uh, there there was no. <laughs> it's kind of random. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, very good. Uh, I I have a website as well. It is buzzingpixel.com. It's where you can find uh, the work I the writing I do about uh, technology and all things related to Apple. Uh, also, you can find both of us on moviebyte.com, uh, where we write articles and reviews and post links and all kinds of fun things. Uh, you yeah, and we'll and we'll, we'll psychoanalyze you on a buzzing pixels name some other time. Okay, very good. Uh, and you can also find me on Twitter. I'm TJ Draper Pro. Uh, I'm also on Facebook. If you want to slum it on Facebook, uh, facebook.com slash TJ Draper. And uh, that's where you can find us on the internet if you want to keep up with us. All right. Thanks, TJ. You All have right. a good one. All right. You too, Joseph. Talk Bye. To you later. Bye.